Amen. Well, we are in Judges chapter 11, and as uh, Dan gave you the title of today's message, it is the man that God chooses as well as the man that God uses. So, Judges chapter 11. And as we go through the, the book, I mean, it seems as if it's been quite some time since we've been in, uh, in the book of Judges. It seems like it's been a long time, and I know we've had, you know, Christmas, we've had New Year's, and we've had uh, other speakers, but uh, we return to a time when, as we read the Word, we return to a time of looking at just a time in the history of Israel. And in this time, we know that Israel walked in, in disobedience, and we know that when they walked in disobedience, that they would cry out to the Lord, and, and the Lord would actually discipline them. I'm sorry, as they walked in, in disobedience, the Lord would actually discipline them. And then in His discipline, we know that they would cry out to the Lord because it was, it was difficult, right? It was, it was difficult to be in that affliction and that oppression. And so what they would do is they would cry out to the Lord, and then the Lord would send a deliverer. And I want to share this with you. The deliverer that we're, that, that we're talking about were called judges. See, this was a time when there were no kings in Israel, and all that were in Israel were actually judges, and these were military leaders. And as I mentioned to you, it was a vicious cycle. It was a cycle that these people continued to walk in disobedience, and then the Lord would discipline, and then the Lord would deliver them. And I don't know if you've ever met people like this, but I have, where it's just a cycle right there. They're all in for the Lord, and, and all of a sudden, they just walk away from the Lord, and then and then the Lord brings discipline, chastening into their lives. And then the Lord brings them out and, and they praise the Lord. They're serving God. And then again, they fall back in disobedience. And then they're doing things that they shouldn't be doing. And it just goes in circles, right? It goes in circles. And this is what Israel was doing. This is what the nation was doing. This is what all these people there in that nation were doing. And so the, this was that vicious cycle. And so the Lord would, would use the enemy to afflict them, right? Their enemies. Whoever they were, they were used to afflict them. They were used to oppress them. They were used to rule over them. And then they would cry out to the Lord and He would raise a judge. A judge again to deliver them. A judge again to, to bring them out of the hands of the enemy. And so the last time we read, we, we were reading in Judges chapter 10 and we finished off with, with, uh, with, uh, with chapter 10 and we see there that in verse 18, it says there that, And the people, the leaders of Gilead, said to one another, Who is a man who will begin the fight against the people of Ammon? Who shall be head over all the inhabitants of Gilead? See, what they were doing is, they were hoping and they were praying that God would send them a deliverer, that God would send them a judge. Because again, they were messed up, and this was for 18 years. These people were afflicted by this group of people called the Ammonites. You know, this was another nation of, uh, uh, of these people that were the, Ammon, uh, the, the descendants of Ammon. And, and we know that as these people were, were, were growing, and they grew in number, and they grew strong, and, and God says, you know what, I'm going to use these people to afflict my people, to bring them to a place of of, this, uh, of surrendering themselves again to me, of walking in my ways, of, of walking in obedience. And we know that the Lord allowed the people, the Ammonites, to afflict His people for 18 years. Imagine that. That's a long time. That's 18 long years. And we know that when you're going through affliction, right, we know that when you're going through some hard times, we know that every year it's just it's so slow, and it just moves slowly, and and so this is what we see ourselves. This is where they see themselves. And this is why they were crying out to the Lord. And as we are going to be introduced here in chapter 11 to the eighth judge of Israel. And this man's name was Jephthah. Okay, it's Jephthah. And as we look at Jephthah, there's much, many things to learn from him. And we know that as he was the eighth judge... He was a judge because there were no kings in Israel. And because there were no kings in Israel, this is what God used to, to rule, I mean, to, to bring the people back to Him and to bring the people back into a place of, of serving Him. 
And so as we look at this, right, I want to I wanna just share with you that we're only going to go over a few verses because I truly believe that God has a message for us as he always does, but it's going to be spoken in just three verses. And it's about the men that and men and women that God uses. And when we use when I use the term men, I'm not just talking about the, the the gender, the male gender. I'm talking about both men and women. And the man that God uses here is is really just men that that God sees, that God sees the heart and God sees your faith. And this is what he's gonna choose in you. And this is what we're gonna see in this man as well as other men in the Bible. Others that God used, others that God says, you know what, I'm going to use you. I've chosen you, even though you've been rejected by the world, even though you've been rejected by your family members, even you, though you've been rejected by people, I am going to use you. And I'm going to use you, and I'm going I'm to do mighty works through you. Of course, if you remain faithful to me, as well as you love me. And so, as we look at this, as we go through chapter 11. I'm just going to read all of chapter 11, and all we're going to do is go over the first three verses, okay? So let's read all of chapter 11 so we can be introduced to this man named Jephthah. And remember, he was the eighth judge that Israel was praying for, that Israel was asking to lead them from the affliction and the oppression from the Ammonites. And so let's begin here in verse 1. It says, now Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty man of valor, but he was the son of a harlot. And Gilead begat, begot Jephthah. Gilead's wife bore sons, and when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall have no inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and dwelt in the land of Tob. And worthless men banded together with Jephthah and went out raiding with him. It came to pass after a time that the people of Ammon made war against Israel. And so it was when the people of Ammon made war against Israel that the elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. Then they said to Jephthah, come and be our commander that we may fight against the people of Ammon. So Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, Did you hate me and expel me from my father's house? Why have you come to me now when you are in distress? So basically they come to Jephthah. Everyone that rejected Jephthah, they come to him because they heard of his reputation because he was a mighty man of valor. And so they're asking him for help to lead them and to conquer and to overcome the enemy that had come into the land. And so the elders, back to verse 8 says, And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, That is why we have turned again to you now, that you may go with us and fight against the people of Ammon, and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. So Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, If you take me back home to fight against the people of Ammon, and the Lord delivers them to me, shall I be your head? And the elder said to Jephthah, The Lord will be a witness between us. If we do not do according to your words. Then Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and commander over them. And Jephthah spoke all these words before the Lord in Mizpah. Now when Jephthah sent messengers to the king of the people of Ammon, saying, What do you, what do you have against me, that you have come to fight against me in my land? And the king of the people of Ammon answered the messengers of Jephthah, because Israel took away my land when they came up against, when they came up out of Egypt from the Arnon as far as the Jabbok and to the Jordan. Now therefore restore those lands peaceably. So this king has a thing against Israel, right? He's saying, you know what? Israel took land away from me. Israel took land that belonged to us. This is what the king of Ammon is saying. So verse 14, as we keep reading, it says, So Jephthah again sent messengers to the king of Ammon and said to him, this is what he's giving them back, right? This is what he's replying to him regarding his statements. Thus says Jephthah, Israel did not take away the land of Israel. I mean, is, I'm sorry. Thus says Jephthah, Israel did not take away the land of Moab, nor the land of the people of Ammon. For when Israel came up 
from Egypt, they walked through the wilderness as far as the Red Sea and came to Kadesh. Then Israel sent messengers to the king of Edom, saying, Please let me pass through your land. But the king of Edom would not heed. And in like manner, they sent to the king of Moab, but he would not consent. So Israel remained in Kadesh. And they went along through the wilderness and bypassed the land of Edom. And the land of Moab came to the east side of the land of Moab and encamped on the other side of the Arnon. But they did not enter the border of Moab, for the Arnon was a border of Moab. So he's basically giving them the history and he's, telling, he's reminding him of what took place. And then Israel sent messengers to Sihon, king of the Amorites, king of Heshbon. And Israel said to him, Please let us pass through your land in our place. But Sihon did not trust Israel to pass through his ter territory. So Sihon gathered all his people together, encamped in Jahaz, and fought against Israel. And the Lord God of Israel delivered Sihon and all his people into the hand of Israel, and they defeated them. Thus Israel gained possession of all the land of the Amorites who inherited that country. And this is that same place that the Ammonites were saying, this is our place. And so verse 22 goes on to say, So they took possession of all the territory of the Amorites, from the Arnon to Jabbok, and from the wilderness to the Jordan. And now the Lord God of Israel has dispossessed the Amorites from before his people Israel. Should you then possess it? Will you not possess whatever Chemosh your God gives you to possess? So whatever the Lord our God takes possession of before us, we will possess. So basically what he's saying is that God gave us this. If Chemosh would have given you this territory, your God, then you would have it. But he's saying God gave it to us, so this is why we possessed it. And then verse 25 goes on to say, And now are you better, are you any better than Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab? Did he ever strive against Israel? Did he ever fight against him? While Israel dwelt in Heshbon and all its villages, in Aror and its villages, and in all the cities along the banks of the Arnon, for 300 years, why did you not recover them within that time? So he's saying, Israel has had this land for 300 years, and you guys never made a stink about it. And now you're saying this land belongs to you when God gave it to us and when we conquered it? So verse 27 goes on to say, Therefore I have not sinned against you, but you wronged me by fighting against me. May the Lord the judge render judgment this day between the children of Israel and the people of Ammon. However, the king of the people of Ammon did not heed the words which Jephthah sent him. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh, and passed through Mizpah of Gilead, and from Mizpah of Gilead he advanced toward the people of Ammon. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed deliver the people of Ammon into my hands, then it will be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the people of Ammon shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it as a burnt offering. So he makes a vow here to the Lord, and he says, you know what? After I defeat the people of Ammon, when I come home, the first thing that I see walking out of my door, I'm going to offer up to you as a burnt offering, as a complete and total offering to you. So then verse 32 goes on to say, so Jephthah advanced towards the people of Ammon, to fight against them, and the Lord delivered them into his hand. And he defeated them from Aror as far as Minith, 20 cities, and to Abel Kiramin, with a great, with a very great slaughter. Thus the people of Ammon were subdued before the children of Israel. When Jephthah came to his house at Mizpah, there was his daughter coming out to meet him with trembles and dancing, and she was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. And it came to pass when he saw her that he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low. You are among those who trouble me, for I have given my word to the Lord, and I cannot go back on it. Remember the vow that he made? He made a vow that the first thing that he saw coming out of the door of his home, that he would sacrifice to the Lord. And then, so she said to him, My father, if you have given your word to the Lord, 
do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth, because the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the people of Ammon. Then she said to her father, let this thing be done for me. Let me alone for two months that I may go and wander on the mountains and bewail my virginity, my friends and I. So he said, go. And he sent her away for two months and she went with her friends and bewailed her virginity on the mountains. And it was so at the end of two months that she returned to her father and he carried out his vow with her, which he had vowed since she knew no man. And it became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went four days each year to lament the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite. So we'll go over that next time and we'll go over that in details and, and just look at what has been done and, and we'll go over that so that you have a good understanding as to the things that take place. As far as today, as I mentioned, we're only going to cover the first three verses and we're going to look at this man, Jephthah. And the reason I do this is because there's many similarities between Jephthah and many of us. And there's similarities between many of us as well as the men that God used. The men and women that God has used in the past. Those men and women that he has used greatly. And we're going to see this as we examine the scriptures as we go over these first three verses. So let's go ahead and read it. And let's read about Jephthah to get an understanding of who this man was. And how God would use him. It says here in verse 1. Now Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty man of valor. Okay. He was a mighty man of valor. But he was the son of a harlot. And Gilead begot Jephthah. Gilead's wife bore sons. And when his wife's sons grew up. They drove Jephthah out and said to him. You shall have no inheritance in our father's house. For you are the son of another woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and dwelt in the land of Tob. And worthless men banded together with Jephthah and went out raiding with him. Okay? So this is Jephthah. And what we see in these first three verses is really a lot about this man. We know that as we keep reading and we read this as we were going through the scriptures, that as we get into verse 29, we know that the Spirit of the Lord comes upon Jephthah. And Jephthah becomes you know, this mighty man that delivers the, the people of Israel out of the hands and the affliction and the oppression of the Ammonites. But as we examine Jephthah, the first thing that I want to share with you is the fact that Jephthah was a Gileadite, okay? And as we look at this, right, he is considered a Gileadite. Why would he be called a Gileadite? There's two reasons for this, right? The first thing that we know is that his father was named Gilead, but he also came from the city of Gilead, the place of his birth. So it could either be because of the fact that his da dad was named Gilead or the fact that he, came uh, that he came from the city. So either reason could be. We don't know exactly why, but we know that he was the Gileadite. When we look at Gilead, okay, I, wanna, I want you guys to know where Gilead is. Gilead is on the east side of the Jordan. Remember, we had the west side of the Jordan. That's where the nation of Israel is today, right? They're on the west side of the Jordan. On the, on the east side of the Jordan, that's where Gilead is. Gilead was in between Gad and Reuben, okay? And so this is that city, that mountainous city that was there. And so this is where Gilead was. And we know that they belonged to the east side of the Jordan. So they weren't really walking in God's perfect will when it came to these two and a half tribes. I mean, they decided to, to choose something other than what God had for them. We know that God wanted them to be in Israel. That was his promised land for them. But they said, you know what? We like this place over here because it looks so good. It's perfect for our animals. You look there and you see that it's perfect for our, our, the grazing of our sheep, of our cattle. And we like the way it looks, and we think it's so perfect, Lord, give it to us. And the Lord says, you know what? I'm going to give it to you. It's not my perfect will for you, but I'm going to let you dwell in that land. And this is where Gilead is. It's on the east side of the Jordan. So that's what we know about him. He's from this area. The next thing that we know is that he is a mighty man of valor. Okay? When we look at, Gilead, at Jephthah, the Bible tells us that he is a mighty man of valor. What does this mean? 
This means that he is a very strong man, okay? That he is a very courageous man. That he is a very brave man. And this is the reputation that Jephthah had, okay? He had a reputation. In, as soon as we read about Jephthah, the first thing that we're told is that he's from Gilead. You know, whether it, be, it was because of his father. He's a Gileadite because of his father, because of the land that he belonged to. But the second thing that we know is that he is a man of valor. The Bible wants us to know that. The Bible wants us to know that this guy is a courageous man, that this guy is a brave man, and this guy had this reputation. But, okay, there's that word but, right? But he was the son of a harlot. So in other words, this man was born out of wedlock. This is the third thing we know about him, right? The, the fact that he is born out of wedlock. We know that he was, that Gilead was married to a Jewish woman, right? But he decided to be, be with a prostitute. He decided to, you know, go out and commit this sin and, and have sex with a prostitute. And guess what happens? They have a child. But one thing that we know about Gilead is he does the honorable thing. Now, even though it doesn't erase what he did, but he does the honorable thing in taking his son, and raising his son. So he doesn't just abandon the child just because it's out of wedlock. He actually takes the son in and he raises the son. So we know one thing about Jephthah is that he is raised by his, his father, right? But he's born out of wedlock. And this creates difficulties, right? Even though he's a man of valor, it still creates difficulties for him. And the reason it, it, it creates difficulties for him is because he has brothers. And we know that he's only a half-brother. And so these brothers that he has, because the Bible tells us that as soon as a father dies, right, it says that his sons, as, as they grew up, and as soon as a father dies, that they actually kick out Jephthah. They actually ask Jephthah to leave. They don't want him around. Because they didn't want to share the inheritance of, they didn't want Jephthah to share in the inheritance of their father. They wanted to keep it all to themselves. And so when we look at this, right, I mean, we know this. And I don't know if any of you are half-brothers or half-sisters. I know if, if, if you're not growing up in a Christian home, it becomes a very difficult thing. Because you're not always accepted, Right? You're not always the one that, that is loved upon because, you know what, you're born out of wedlock or you're born from another woman or you're born from, from, another, uh, uh, from someone else. And so the family that your father and your mother is with now, they don't accept you all the time, right? There seems to be a rejection of you. And so we know that this is a conflict that this man faced. And we know that siblings can be very mean. Siblings can be extremely mean when it comes to you know what, half-brothers or half-sisters. And so they put you through torture, and, and we know that this is just a natural thing that happens. It's in the world around us because we live in a world that has allowed sin to reign, right? And as sin reigns, we know that the flesh is going to allow these things, right? Because they make themselves to be better than you. You know, as, as the father or the mother is currently married with with, 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 the, uh, with, with someone else that is the, the, the mother or the father of, of, the, of, your current si of the current sibling. And so what we see here is, is something that is, is difficult for, uh, for Jephthah. And we know that as soon as the father dies, they kick him out. They don't want Jephthah receiving any of the inheritance. So they ask him to leave and they say, you know what? We, we want you out of this place. And so Jephthah leaves. And we know that, that, that he goes on and, and he moves on. And we know that he, become, he, he comes to a place where that is, that is a land called Tobah or an area called Tobin. We know that he bands together with other men. And we'll talk about this in a second. But I really want to go back to us. I, wanna, I want us to come to a place of, of feeling and understanding what, what uh, Jephthah is going through. And I know that mine wasn't to this extreme, but I remember for, my, for me, right? I mean, I, I was the youngest of four, and, and I'm going to share something personal here. And I know that many of us have these personal stories when, we, when it comes to our brothers and sisters. And, and uh, hopefully I'm not saying something here that's new to anybody. I think, have we all faced challenges with siblings here, or is it just me? 
I think many of us, I see many hands shaking, right? And sometimes we know it's, it's, it's you know what, it, it just happens. And, and I just want to share this with you. I, I came from a family of four, and I was, a, I was the youngest out of the four. And, and there was a, uh, four and a half years apart from me and, and my, my oldest brother. And all of them were born a year to a year and less than a half, a year, less than a year and a half between every single sibling. So what we had here with my siblings, with my brothers and sisters, is that they always did things together. You know what? They were always doing things together. And you know what? And they were always going out together. They were always, you know, hanging out together. And when it came to me, I always felt rejected, right? I always didn't feel, I didn't feel accepted by them. And you know what? And it was funny because they would do things on their own. And, you know, I was younger and they didn't want to have me around, right? Even, you know what? I remember them planning things together and going out together. And I was always like, what about me? And, you know, and, and they, you know, they didn't want me around. And I even, you know what? It was even to a point where in one of the, uh, the, the, the wedding ceremonies of one of my siblings, they had all of them in the wedding party except me. And so I was like, man, you know what, this is pretty, it's pretty sad, right? I mean, but this is, this is reality, right? I mean, I'm just being transparent and honest with you guys, and this is the way things are when it comes to, to siblings. And so, you know what, I, 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 I sort of know what Jephthah is going through, not to the extreme, because I wasn't kicked out of my home. I just never felt accepted. I never felt like, you know what, that they wanted me around, and and this is one of the things that I shared with my wife. I said, you know what? When we have kids, and my wife knows this, I said, I said when we have kids, we are going to have the kids back to back. I don't want there to be any gaps in my children because I don't want them to feel unaccepted or rejected the way I was. As the Lord says, a man may plan his ways, but the Lord orders his steps. I had a child... 10 years later, after, or 11 years after my oldest, my youngest daughter, and that's Selah, who's in the back, four years old, but, but that's the way things are, and, and we know one thing about her, though, is she's loved upon by all the kids, so, and that's because we're in a Christian home, too. There's a difference here, right? I mean, not to say that Christians are exceptional and they're all perfect, because they're not, but here, you know what? She's loved upon, and, and, and this is the way it is, but, but when it comes to, uh, to Jephthah, I want to you know, I want to go back to the scriptures because when we look at his life, he's rejected by family. He's rejected by those that he loves. I mean, he doesn't know anyone else. Who knows if his mom was even around, you know, being a prostitute. I mean, who knows if she died or who knows what happened to her. But the Bible never mentions her. And it doesn't mention that he goes back to his mother's house. And with other men or with other people, it, it mentions how they go back to their family. But this one, it doesn't. So maybe she wasn't around. So she's al he's alone now. He's a loner, and where does he go? But we know that he's a mighty man of valor, right? And so in verse 3, it tells us that Jephthah fled from his brothers and dwelt in the land of Tob. And worthless men banded together with Jephthah and went out raiding with him. Okay? So what we have here is we have this man, Jephthah. He gets kicked out, and he's abandoned by his family, by those around him, and he goes out and he meets up with other men. And this is the fourth point I want to talk about is the fact that he becomes sort of like this Robin Hood. Okay, I think we all know Robin Hood, right? We all know Robin Hood, this, you know, England's, England's most famous outlaw. We know that he supposedly was a legendary man, you know, as, as they say of the 12th century and and we'd all remember the uh, Robin Hoods, right? There was a most recent Robin Hoods that were made, and I think it was uh, Russell Crowe and also, uh, who was the other one that played Robin Hood? Uh, Kevin Costner, yes, you remember that one. The most famous one, the one that I enjoyed watching was actually Errol Flynn. I, I know I'm getting my age here. I'm not, I'm 52, but, but I know when he came out, I mean, he was much older than I, but I remember watching this on on television, and he was my favorite when it came to the Robin Hoods, and, and you know what, it was, it was awesome looking at this, but we know one thing about Robin Hood is that, you know, he was always, you know, stealing from the rich and, and feeding the poor, and, you know, he was fighting injustice, he was fighting tyranny, and, and we know that he operated with, what, 
uh, his seven score, which were 140, you know, strong men that were fellow outlaws with him. And they were called Robin Hood and his merry what? His merry men. Remember? You guys remember who the sheriff was, the one that would overtax the people and that was stealing with the people. You remember his name? Sheriff of Nottingham, right? I mean, that's, I mean, I forget what, I, they just called him a sheriff of Nottingham. But we know one thing is that he was overtaxing the people and he was, he was just, you know what, he was just oppressing them. And so Robin Hood would steal from the poor and he would give, I mean, steal from the rich and he would give to the poor. And that's really sort of the picture that we get here regarding Jephthah, right? He bands with these worthless men and they go out raiding and more than likely they were out raiding the enemy. They, he wouldn't raid his own people. More than likely he was raiding the Ammonites, right? He would go out and he would, whatever he would do, whether he would just fight against them, whatever he was doing, we know that it would have been the enemies. And so we're reminded of the fact that he was a mighty man of valor, right? He was a courageous man. He was a brave man. He was a, 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 a mighty man of valor. And so as we look at this, right, I want to bring another thing up about Jephthah. And I want to share this with you because, see, there's something that we're not going to go over in these, that we don't see in these three verses. But I want to share this with you. If you look at verse 9, it's going to tell us the fact that Jephthah was a man of faith. And I want to share this with you because it's important because this is part of what we want to get across with us today. It says, so Jephthah, in verse 9, said to the elders of Gilead, if you take me back home to fight against the people of Ammon, and the Lord delivers them to me, shall I be your head? See, he never says, if you take me back home to fight against the people of Ammon, and I deliver you from the people of Ammon, will I be your head? See, what we see here is we see a man that is a man of faith. I want you to understand this. And look at what he says next. He says this in verse 10. He says, and the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, the Lord will be a witness between us. If we do not do according to your words, then Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead and the people made him head and commander over them. And Jephthah spoke all these words before the Lord in Mizpah. So we see here, we see a man that has faith in God. We see a man that really knows the power of God, knows that, you know what, it's God that works through him, right? He has a heart for God. He has faith in God. Who knows, maybe after he, reject, he was rejected by by his brothers, maybe he was a man that was just committing a lot of crime. You know, we know that he became a mighty man of valor. We know that he was raiding towns, and we know that he was stealing from and taking from, uh, from, from the enemy. Maybe he was doing it for himself, but something changed after a while. Just like many of us, right, as we come to know Jesus Christ, we're transformed. We're not the same that we used to be. We're not doing what we used to do in times past. We become new creations. God changes us, He transforms us, and He makes us into new people. He gives us a new heart. And so we see this man that trusts in God. We see this man that has faith in God. And this is what I want to talk about. I want to talk about men and women that place their faith in God. Men and women that love God and how God works powerfully through them. It doesn't matter your past, and this is what's so amazing about God. God doesn't say, you know what, I'm going to look at your past. Oh, man, you were born in this city? You were born in La Puente? Forget it, man. You're good for nothing, right? He doesn't say that. Or he doesn't say, look, you were born of these people, and you know what? You're, they were this. They were sinners. You know what? They're, you know what? I'm not going to use you. God doesn't even look at any of that. I want you to know this. God does not put you in a, in a box because of, of, of who you are, where you came from. God doesn't limit you in using you and doing things through you because of where you came from or where you were born. He doesn't say, look at your size, look at your age, look at your weight, look at your gender. He doesn't do any of that. See, what's so amazing about God is that God looks at the heart and he looks at your trust and your faith in him. That's what God looks at. And this is what's so amazing about the God that we serve, right? Is that he says, you know what, if you place your faith in me, no matter who you are, no matter what of a, of a loser you were, I make you into a winner. And I begin to do great things through you, right? I give you a second chance. I give you a third chance. I give you a fourth chance. And you know what? I make winners out of losers. I'm good at restoring. 
the things that you mess up. I'm good at putting together these things and, and making good out of bad or what the enemy intended for evil, I will make into good. See, there are others in the Bible, and we're going to talk briefly about them. We're going to talk briefly about the others in the Bible. And the reason I say this is because, see, Jephthah is not the first to be rejected by his siblings. See, Jephthah is not the only one in the Bible to have been rejected by his own family. He is not the only one to be rejected by the world, by friends, by none of that. See, but God doesn't care about that. See, God isn't saying, oh, because the world rejected you. Oh, because your siblings rejected you. Oh, because all of these people have rejected you. I will also reject you. He doesn't say that. This is what's so awesome about God because, see, God doesn't look at these things. See, what we have, and I'm going to give you these examples because I want to prove this through the Scriptures. You remember Joseph? A man named Joseph. He's just like Jephthah. You know, one thing about Joseph is that Joseph was a man, a young man at the time that was hated by his brothers. This man wasn't liked by his brothers. And if you open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 37, I'm going to read this to you in verse 5. Here in verse 5, it says here, or you know what, let's begin to read from verse 3. Or let's, you know what, let's read from verse 2, okay? This is a history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers, and the lad was the sons, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all of his children because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. I'm not going to talk about this, but when I want to share this with you, if you're ever partial with any kids, you will instigate discord amongst the brethren. Just know that, okay? So here, I just want you to know this. I just want you to know if you ever play favorites with any of your children, you will, instig uh, you will instigate, you will create conflict within families. That's not my subject matter, but that just came to, life, came to my mind for whatever reason. Maybe that's to minister to one of you that's being favorite with that's becoming a, that's showing favoritism to one of your children. But whatever you do, don't do that, okay? But what we see here is, we see the fact that they hated Joseph. And they hated Joseph because, see, he was loved by his father, right? And he walked around with this nice coat of multicolors. And you know what? And they know that his father only gave him the nice coat, right? They didn't have a nice coat of multicolors. They didn't have all these be this beautiful coat that was all colorful and, and keeping them warm and all that stuff. They didn't walk around with that, and they didn't like it. And so they hated Joseph. And so they were always thinking of ways. You know what? How is it that we can get rid of our brother? We know that he's loved most by, by our dad, and you know what? We're sick of it, right? We've, we're up to here with him, and we're up to here saying that. You know what? Because he would share his dreams with them, and they were like, you know what? We're sick of this guy. We want him out. We want him, get him out of here, right? We're tired of him. And they did the same thing that they did to Jephthah, except they sold their brother into slavery. This is what's crazy, right? They sold their brother into slavery. They allowed, you know what? Well, they actually tried to kill him. They tried to actually kill this guy, and they left him there for the, for the, for, for the wild animals to, to eat up and so forth. And we know that a band of, uh, of people come and they get them and, and basically he's taken uh, as a slave. And so we have this, right? We see this happening here. And, and so we see what's going on here. And so, you know what? His brothers, what they do is they sell him. I mean, they, 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 just, they, they just get rid of him and, and he becomes a slave. Okay, that's Joseph. I want to talk about the next one here. Okay? The next man that we're going to talk about is, is David. Okay? King David. 
Did you know that David was also a man that wasn't liked by his brothers? You know what? He was a man that, that also was, was rejected by his brothers. He was much younger than his brothers, and, and in being younger than his brothers, they, they rejected him. They didn't look at him very favorably. And if you open up your Bibles to 1 Samuel, in 1 Samuel, in chapter 17, we're going to look at how his brothers looked at him, okay? And this is really when David is up to fight Goliath. See, David hears about, you know what, the dad sends David, his father Jesse sends David to, to go see how his brothers are because he knows there's a battle going on between the Philistines and the Israelites, and so what he does is he gets, he tells his son David, go over there and check on your brothers. So he goes to check on his brothers and look at what his brother tells him in verse 28 of chapter 17. It says here in verse 28, it says, now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men and Eliab's anger was aroused against David and he said, why did you come here? Why did you come here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. So basically, the way they thought, they thought David was a very prideful kid. This is the way they looked at David. And they looked down at him because he was always tending sheep, right? He was a shepherd. So we know that the brothers looked down on David. And they, little did they know that all God was doing with David was preparing him to rule over his people as he was tending the sheep. See, God was preparing David as he was tending the sheep, but the brothers despised that. Remember, shepherds were, uh, sh shepherds were looked down at, and his brothers did the same thing with David. They looked down at David, and they're saying, hey, why aren't you with your sheep? That's where you belong. You don't belong out here in battle. You don't belong out here with your, with your older brothers that are here that are mightier and stronger than you. You belong over there with the sheep, you know, with the a, with a with the, with the, with the sheep over there. And so they also said that, you know what, that, that they thought that David was a man that was rude and disrespectful. That's, that's what it means when, we, when it says that he was an insolent man. They thought that he was rude. They thought that he was a disrespectful kid. And so they looked down at David, right? They didn't like David. But yet God had different plans, didn't he? See, this is what happens when, you know what, you have family members that reject you. But understand this. When God is for you, who can be against you? And know this, that God is going to use you if you remain faithful, if your heart remains sold out for him. I'm going to give you one final example. One final example that I'm going to give you, and this is one that sometimes we forget, but the third example I want to give you is Jesus. Did you know that Jesus wasn't liked by his brothers? He wasn't liked by his family. I'm going to, let's go ahead and read in John. Let's open up our Bibles to John. In John chapter 7, we're going to read beginning in verse 3. In John chapter 7, verse 3, it says, His brothers therefore said to him, Depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples, right, also may see the works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things... Show yourself to the world, right? They're mocking him, basically, and they're saying, for even his brothers did not believe in him, okay? We see here that his brothers didn't even believe in him. Did you know that they thought he was crazy? If we open up the Bible to Mark, in Mark chapter 3, in Mark chapter 3, look at what it says about Jesus. Mark chapter 3, verse 20, it says here, then the multitude came together so that they could not so much eat as eat bread. But when his own people heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. 
He is out of his mind. They thought Jesus was crazy. Imagine this. They thought Jesus was crazy. They thought that he's a lunatic, right? Again, rejected by his own family members, rejected just like Joseph, just like David, not accepted, not loved, not, 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 not embraced like the rest of them. And so we see here, right, we see here that it is not uncommon for these things to happen. But see, what we see from this is that God is not looking at what people say about you. God is not choosing you because you're accepted by others. God chooses you for, one re- for two reasons. And I'm going to talk about these, right? I'm going to talk about these quickly. The first reason is because he knows your heart, okay? God knows your heart. And if you are a man or a woman that loves God, doesn't matter who rejects you. It doesn't matter who doesn't accept you. God will use you if your heart is sold out for him. See, many people will always look at the exterior, right, of others. They'll say, oh, you know what? This person is a person that God's going to use. This person, you know what? Look at this person. You know what? He or she looks just like a perfect woman or man of God. But see, God doesn't choose by appearance. God looks at the heart. And we must always remember this. We don't worry about the world rejecting us. We don't worry about family members that reject us. We are to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And you will see how God works through you. I'll share this with you. I remember when, as I became a believer, I remember my mom spending, you know, an hour to two hours with me, just talking to me and crying with me and telling me, how come you left the, how come you left, how come you left uh, the faith of, of religion? How come you left, you know what, uh, uh, Catholicism and, and you became a Christian? And she was in tears and she was upset at me. And I told her, you know what, I'm going to serve God. I love God and I'm going to remain as a Christian now that I'm serving God, now that I love God. I'm going to, you know what, I just want to get to know him better. And why aren't you happy for me? I think we all go through that, right? When we know family members that, that aren't believers, when it comes to our brothers, si- siblings, or, or sisters, or, or aunts, or uncles, or parents, they come to us always asking us, why, why, why? They're not happy about the fact that we want to be now, now that we want to have a relationship with God. Look at what God says about, about looking at the, uh, at the heart. He says here in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, it says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. See, for us, this is extremely important. When we look at Joseph, do you remember Joseph? Joseph was a man that loved the Lord. This man was tempted. This man was, you know, was, was, uh, was rejected. He was tempted. He was abused. I mean, he was just, he went through the ringer, right? And God was preparing him for what God was going to do through him. And one thing about Joseph is that whenever he was faced with sin or committing sin, you know what he would say in his heart is that, how can I sin and commit such wickedness against my God? He loved God. He had a heart for God. And as he had a heart for God and a love for God, God used this man powerfully. The same thing with David, right? David was a man after God's own heart. This is what God says of David. This man is a man after my heart. He loves me. This man loves me. And because he loves me, you know what? I'm going to show myself strong through him. See, all these men that we're talking about, the same thing with Jephthah. They all have a commonality, and that is a love for God. And the same thing it is with Jesus Christ, right? He had a love for God the Father. He was here to do His will. He was here to do the will of His Father. He loved them so much that He was willing to die for, the, for our sins. See, the commonality here is a love for God. And that's what we must walk away with, knowing that, you know what? If we love God, God is going to do amazing things through us. The second thing I want to talk about is faith. 
All of these men had great faith in God. I shared with you Jephthah, right? His amazing faith in God. The same thing with Joseph. Imagine to be a prisoner, to be a slave, to be falsely accused, to be rejected. But he never lost faith in God. He kept trusting in God. The same thing with David. You know what, David, he should have been king a long time ago, right? But he says, you know what, I'm not going to lay a hand against God's anointing. When God wants to take him down, he'll take him down. And then I'll become king. I'm going to trust in God. I'm going to just remain faithful to God. I'm going to trust in him no matter what happens. I'm going to trust. No matter what life dishes out, no matter how difficult things get, I will trust in him. You know, we look at just the commonality that they all had. Amazing and great faith in God. That no matter what difficulty came in my life, just like Jephthah, you know what? I'm rejected by my siblings. It's not going to keep me from God, though. You know what? My dad, it's, it's okay that I had a mom, uh, a mom that was a prostitute. That doesn't matter. I'm still trusting in God. That doesn't make me inferior. I'm going to trust in the Lord in all things. See, we got to come to that point, too. If, if we want to be used by God, we got to be men and women of great faith. We got to be men and women who love God. See, God desires to, to use us, right? He's chosen us, and now He desires to use you for His glory. You know what? 2015, I'm so excited for this church for this year because I know one thing is that God is going to move powerfully through the lives of many of you as you show yourself after God's heart, after a love that, that is for God, as you continue to walk by faith. I'm so excited about the different things that he's going to do through many of you in this church. You know what? 2015 is going to be amazing. And I know this because, see, we've already had opposition so early on in this church where the enemy has come in trying to create havoc and problems because he knows that this year it's going to be an amazing year for this church. And what I talk about is the body of believers that are here. Only because I see a stirring of God's love that you have. I see many of you that have a love for God. I see many of you that are walking by faith. That no matter what this life dishes out, no matter what comes against us, no matter if it's the world, if it's our, our, our family, if it's health or whatever it is, I'm going to remain faithful. I'm going to love God. And God is going to use you. Just like he used Jephthah to deliver the Israelites. They were oppressed for 18 years. And he was raised up to deliver them. Joseph. Joseph was raised up because of his love and his faith for God. To not only save the people of Israel, but he saved the world from a famine. God used this man to do this. And we also know when it comes to David. David was used powerfully, the greatest king, earthly king, apart from Jesus Christ. The greatest king that Israel has ever had is David, a man after God's heart. A man sold out for God, a man rejected by his brothers, by his siblings. A man that was hunted down by the king. A man that was tried to, that was, that was out, you know, that they were trying to get rid of him, trying to kill him. But yet he loved God and he remained faithful to God. And look at Jesus Christ. What God said about him. When you look at the humility of, the, of my son. When you look at his, his actions and, and what he did. Willing to, to sacrifice himself for all of you. To die for all of you. To, became a, to become a, a man of no reputation. And God has raised him up where every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. Understand this, your love and your faithful, your faith for God. When you have this, God will move powerfully. 
And many of you may be saying, well, you know what? I have a faith for God or I have a love for God. You know what? This is all shown in your actions. Align your life with the scriptures. And don't let Satan blind you to your sin because many of us, we have other gods, right? We're, we idolize other things and we're not devoted. Our hearts are, are, are pulled away from, from serving God and from loving God. They're pulled away by the things of this world. They're pulled away by family members. They're pulled away by our own desires. And sometimes our faith isn't what it should be, right? Our faith sometimes is, is you know what, it's weak faith. Where we think, God can't do this, right? You know what, these circumstances, God can't move. You know what, these things are too difficult. God hasn't been doing anything for years, and why is he going to do it now? Is that what David said? Is that what Joseph said? Is that what Jephthah said? It's just a self-examination of where our hearts are. See, I want us to align ourselves according to what God wants. See, my will is that God will use every single one of us, including me, greater than he has in times past. There shouldn't be any obstacles or hindrances there shouldn't be any other gods that we put before him. There shouldn't be any, any things that we, that we idolize before God that we're constantly thinking of before him. We should be praying. We should be reading. We should be, you know what, as we come to church, fellowshipping amongst other believers. Why? Because we stir one another up. It is so amazing when you're around other people of God, you are always stirred up, aren't you, to do good things. That's what the body of Christ was created to do. Stir one another up. That's why we want to be around other believers. We want to stir one another up. We want to, we want all of us, I want all of us to receive all that God has for us. I want us to have a greater passion than we've ever had for God. And God is going to do amazing things through us. But we must purpose this in our hearts. You must purpose this very thing in your heart. You must say, this is what I want. And when you want this, you, when you purpose this in your heart, you will step out and you will do these things. I'm going to leave you with this scripture. I'm going to leave you with two scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going to be closing now. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, it says this, it says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Everything that the world looks for, right? The world is looking, at, you know what, these people, look at how wise they are. Look at their smarts. Look at how noble, how great they are, right? Look at how mighty they are. Look at how strong they are. Those aren't the one that God calls, not the one that... The world points out and says, those are the perfect ones for God. Verse 27 says, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence remember this this is what god wants to do through us and for those of us that have faith and love in god we know that it's not us that does it it's he that works through us and i told you i was going to close with one final scripture from second chronicles 16 verse 9 and this was a scripture that the lord gave to us as a church and i want to share it with you because it is so important. For those of you that weren't here on New Year's, understand that this is the scripture that the church has given us for this year. And it's in 2 Chronicles 16, verse 9. It says this, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. He is going to show himself strong with those hearts that are loyal to him. 
Don't worry about the things around you. God loves restoring. God loves to change things. God loves to turn all things together for good to those that are, call, that are called according to his purpose. What the enemy intends for evil, the Lord turns into good. We are more than conquerors through him. God is going to show himself loyal. I mean, God is going to show himself strong if you make your hearts loyal to him. And with that, we're going to close. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for just a reminder today of who you use and who you choose, Lord. You don't choose according to what the world says, according to what our families say, according to what our coworkers say, our people say. You look at the heart. You look at our faith. Lord, you desire to use us. You desire to move powerfully through us. This is what you want to do. Lord, let us learn from these men that we talked about. As men and women that call themselves children of God, may we purpose in our hearts to be loyal to you and only you. Let's put away all of these idols. And let us be men and women of God that love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And exercise great faith in you so that you can move strong, so that you can show your power, and so that you can be glorified in and through our lives. Lord, we want to tell you that we love you. Thank you for your message. May we be exhorted. May we be encouraged to walk in your ways. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all.